Amen. Well, thank you for that song. I appreciate that. And a great song. Well done. Thank you for that. Uh, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3. I do want to uh, bring you greetings from uh, the city of Madison and Madison Baptist Church. Um, as uh, Pastor mentioned, I'm, I've had the privilege to be the pastor there for the last five years. I did grow up in that church. Uh, my dad was the pastor when I was young. While I was off at Bible college, my brother took over, and uh, he was there for 13 years, and I was a missionary uh, for uh, several years uh, down in, in Mexico and then on the border with Mexico and Arizona. And uh, when my brother took another church, uh, the church asked me to come and, and be the pastor, and it's been my privilege for the last five years to pastor the church. And uh, I certainly do appreciate it. I love that church there. And I want to encourage you, first of all, with a couple of things. Number one, that we appreciate your church, the church here, and the college here. We appreciate very much the work that God is doing here uh, in Menominee Falls, as well as through Falls Baptist Church and Baptist College of Ministry. My brother, when, uh, when I took over for him, uh, he told me that he had been to uh, the Victory Conference uh, in uh, previous years, and I think he'd only come once, maybe twice, but he told me that he really enjoyed it. It was a blessing, and uh, he just, it was just kind of one of those things where he mentioned it in passing, and uh, I got the uh, notification in the mail that the conference was coming up then that next year, and so myself and uh, my assistant, we came down one day and were really blessed, and I've uh, just been uh, privileged to be able to attend that conference for the last couple of years, and it seems like each year I attend a little bit more of it because it is a, such a blessing to me. The spirit of the church here and the spirit of the college has been an encouragement to me, and I really appreciate that, and so I want to thank you for having a part in that, and certainly Pastor Van Gelder and the staff here, what a blessing they've been to me in just encouraging me to love the Lord more, and I appreciate the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. The emphasis on the need for us to walk in the Spirit, that's where the victory is. And, and I appreciate any kind of Christianity that emphasizes the fact that we are victorious, that we don't have to live in defeat. And there's uh, two ways of looking at that. There's some form of Christianity, and especially Baptist Christianity, that has an idea that we're victorious because of the flesh, and that's wrong, right? We don't ever trust in the flesh. Uh, but then there's the, the truth of God's word, which is that we are victorious because of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection and what he did for us on the cross. And I appreciate that emphasis that's here at this church and at this college and, and appreciate uh, that very, very much. Uh, as far as in Madison, uh, being there and pastoring there, uh, wherever I go throughout the state and even really around the, around the country, when I went to Bible college, I went to college in Oklahoma and when I got there to Oklahoma, the vice president of the college, uh, a dear man of God, uh, when I introduced myself, he said, oh, you're from Madison, Wisconsin. He said, wow, that, he grew up in the Oakland, California area, and he said, Madison is like the Berkeley of the Midwest. And I said, yeah, very, very much so. Well, one of the things that people don't often realize, and I want to encourage you with this, is Madison is a, a very wicked place, and there's a lot of liberal thought there and, and all that different stuff, but I want you to understand the Bible teaches us the principle that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And I believe that in our church, as well as there's another good church on the same side of town that we're on, Grace Baptist Church is also there, good people in a good church. Pastor Howell's a good man of God. Both of those churches, God has blessed. God's blessed our church. God has blessed for the Howell's church. And I believe that's just God working out his principle, that where sin abounds, if God's people will just seek his face and trust in him, that he'll pour out his grace and do great things. So if God calls you to a difficult place, I want to encourage you, it's not a death sentence. Not a death sentence for your ministry. 
Uh, God can give you grace and will do great things. And he gets glory when good things happen in wicked places. And I believe that that's going on in Madison. I'd like to see the Lord do a whole lot more than he's done. And I know that he will as we yield to him. But it's an exciting time to serve the Lord. And Madison is an exciting place to serve the Lord. Uh, yes, there's a lot of wickedness there. But I'm telling you, one of the things about having the university there is those university students are a lot more open than you might think. We go out every Saturday, during the summer it's Thursday nights, but every Saturday we go out, we go downtown to the campus area and we hand out tracts every Saturday. We do a little bit of street preaching, but it's mostly just handing out tracts. And I'm telling you, those, those young college students, a lot of them will say no, but many of them will take a tract. Many of them will engage you in conversation. Many of them are interested to know what it is that we believe. And why it is, they don't necessarily accept it right there, but they're willing to talk. And I mean, every Saturday, we get out hundreds of tracks on UW-Madison campus. So again, it's a wicked place, but boy, God's doing a great work. And we're excited about that. I want to encourage you that as God gives you opportunities to serve, even if it's in a difficult place, if God's called you, you just do that. Ephesians chapter 3 is where uh, I want us to be for uh, the message here this morning. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look through this chapter and uh, I'm going I'm to try to read through it fairly quickly because I do want to read the entire chapter, but please don't get lost, all right? I know sometimes when you read a lot of verses, it's easy to get lost and just hear my monotone voice dragging on and on, okay? Try not to let that happen. Focus on what, what the Word of God is saying. And as we look at Ephesians 3, I want you to think about the fact that Paul is going to emphasize, to some extent, his calling and the purpose of his calling, but then also what his calling will produce as far as the local church and God getting glory through the local church. I want you to look for that and think about that as we read through Ephesians 3, okay? Starting with verse number 1, it says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto us, or unto his holy apostles and prophets by his Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me who am less then the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now, under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, 
according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. There are two main verses in there, and I could have just cherry-picked those verses out of the chapter, that really give us the idea of what this chapter is all about, the fact that Paul was called of God to be an apostle, and obviously he was what we might call the apostle of the Gentiles. God gave him that specific ministry to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And God had revealed to him that mystery that had been hid for many ages, the fact that not only God's people, as in the physical sons of Abraham, the Jewish people, but also now the Gentiles were to be called into one body with the Jewish people, and that is the church, and that they would together give glory to God. And that's really what verse number 10 talks about there, where it says, under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. By the way, that's a great verse to just meditate on and think about. A lot of what God is doing, and I don't understand that completely, and perhaps some others would have a better idea of that than I do, but what I see in that verse is, is that there is this, as maybe Hebrews 12 talks about, that there is a great cloud of witnesses that watches what all we do. And that as God's work is performed through us, the local church, that God receives glory in front of that great cloud of witnesses. That as we do His will, God receives glory. Then in verse 21, we find that that's really the purpose of all of this that Paul mentions. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. I want you to understand that as you do the work of God... There is really one goal that you ought to have in all that you do, and that is that God may be glorified. That's really the goal that will help you to continue to go on when times are discouraging, when things are tough, is if your goal is God to receive glory. In all that he has done, he's done it so that he would be glorified. That's what we learn from this chapter. And by the way, he deserves to be glorified. Listen, young people, that I know all of us have dreams and desires and aspirations for the ministry that God has called us to, but I want you to understand it's not important whether or not your dreams and aspirations are fulfilled and met in your ministry. It really is irrelevant. What is relevant is this, whether or not God receives glory through what you do. Because you are not worthy of any concern as to whether or not your desires are fulfilled. Listen, just the simple fact that God saved you from hell and saved you to heaven is enough to where you should say, I am now your servant, as the prodigal son was going to say to his father, right? I am no more worthy to be called your son. I will be as one of your hired servants. That's really the attitude that all of us need to have after salvation is, I'm not worthy, even though you've called me your son, I'm not worthy of it. And just if I can serve you, I'll be content. That's the attitude that we ought to have. It's not, in, it's not relevant whether or not my goals are fulfilled. What is relevant is that God would receive glory. This morning in this chapel message, I just want to take a little bit of time and give you, and I guess this would be the title of the message, is Three Enemies of God's Glory in the Church. And there are many more, but these are three that God laid on my heart. And I'll share with you a little bit of where I got to this message uh, after we pray. But let's go to the Lord in, in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we need you now in this time. I certainly need you, Lord. I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to speak to these young people in chapel this morning. But Father, it's not important 
that they hear from me, but it is important that they hear from you. And Father, I pray that you would humble me, but exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I do ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I might speak uh, the words that would benefit and help these young people. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, just take from my mind any thoughts that are not from you and put back in my mind your thoughts. And Lord, I pray that this message would be true to your word. But Father, I also pray that you would give each of us ears to hear, and Lord, that we would hear your Spirit's voice as you speak to us and apply this message as only you can. And uh, please do that for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. In his name we pray. Amen. Three enemies of God's glory in the church. I'll give you those in just a moment, but I, I heard a song not long ago that maybe many of you have heard, maybe you haven't heard it before. I wouldn't say that the song is evil. I don't want to give you that impression. Um, if any of you have sung the song, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but just I thought about the words of the song and how they're very good and they make what my dad would call, they make good preaching, but not necessarily good doctrine. Okay, in other words, it might get people excited, but that doesn't mean it lines up with God's word. And the song goes like this in the chorus. It, it talks about, well, in the first verse, it talks about how uh, the people who are serving in the church are tired and it's been a long, hard road and it's difficult serving the Lord and we're weary at many times. And then the, the chorus says, but if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth uh, every struggle, it would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul. Now, I like the idea of that. We love souls and we want to see souls saved and Truly, it is worth it to go through a lifetime of labor if just one more soul walks down the aisle and gets saved, and that's a blessing. But the question that I asked myself as I heard that song this last time that I heard it a couple of weeks ago is this, what if one more soul doesn't walk down the aisle? Should I quit if I think no one else will come? If, if no one else is going to get saved, does it mean that I should just hang it up and be done? The obvious answer is no. Listen, I'm glad for when souls get saved, but my goal and my focus is not just souls being saved. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Let me, let me begin by saying point number one in the message is this. We're talking about now enemies of God's glory in the church. The first one is a numbers focus. A numbers focus is an enemy of God's glory in the church. And what I mean by a numbers focus is this, <clears throat> that we need to do whatever it takes to bring in as many people as we possibly can. In other words, I feel successful when the chairs or pews, whatever it is that you might have, are full. And if they're empty, I feel like a loser. And if they're full, I feel like a winner. That's a numbers focus. And I want you to understand that's an enemy of God's glory in the church. Now, the first thing I would say to you is this, is God interested in numbers? Yes. God does want to see many people saved. I mean, you just read through the book of Acts, and doesn't God make an emphasis on numbers in the book of Acts? Absolutely he does. He mentions the different thousands that were saved at this point, and the several thousands that were saved later, and the many multitudes and different wording that he uses to give us the idea that there were many people that were getting saved in that early church at Jerusalem especially. God is interested in numbers, and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Turn there with me, and 
With the Lord's help, we'll turn to a lot of passages of Scripture here this morning, and I want to move quickly, so uh, just follow along with me. Uh, if you get a paper cut while turning quickly, just suck it up, be a man, and keep turning, okay? Luke 14, and for you ladies, don't be a man, all right? Uh, but uh, be tough anyway, all right? Luke 14, verse number 16. <clears throat> Notice this now as Jesus gives a, a, a story here that's going to make a point. Luke chapter 14, verse 16. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, notice this last phrase, that my house may be filled. Now this is a, a parable or a story, however you want to say it there, that Jesus is using as an illustration of the calling of the Jewish nation in his day that those who were the leaders were called, they refused. So Jesus' ministry turned to those who were halt and maim and blind and all the rest, the kind of rejects of society, and he called them. And Yet there was room, and so Jesus' ministry is later on after his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension is going to shift primarily to the Gentiles to, to compel them to come in, that his house may be filled. Does God want his house filled? Absolutely. Should we be excited when the house of God is full? Yes. Should we have that as a desire of ours? Should we pray for it? Yes, but I want you to understand that even though God is interested in numbers, it is not his focus. In the same passage of Scripture now, we just read verses 16 to 23. Look down at verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. You can read the rest of the chapter, but you see what Jesus is doing there? At that same time, when he's talking about the need to fill the master's house, yet he turns and sees great multitudes and discourages them from following him unless they're willing to give all. You see, God is interested in multitudes, but he's interested in multitudes that are serious about him and his work. Jesus Christ understood how fickle the hearts of men are. Remember in John chapter 2, the Bible says that Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men's hearts. He, he knows that the multitudes are fickle. One day the house might be filled for this thing, and the next day they are not so filled because of something that went on. God is not necessarily focused on numbers. You and I ought to seek to bring in as 
many people as possible to God's house. But let's always remember that we're bringing them there for one purpose. And that purpose is, listen, it's really very simple. To proclaim the glory of God before them. As we're bringing in the masses and we're bussing them in or we're inviting them, we're going door to door and inviting them or whatever the thing may be, we're bringing them there to present to them God. We want to lift him up before them and glorify him in front of them that they might have fellowship with him as well. Here's a, a second enemy of God's glory in the church, and this one will sound a little bit funny as I begin it, but just follow with me through it, and that would be a soul-winning focus. Now, it's going to sound a little strange. I definitely don't want to discourage you from soul-winning. In fact, I want to encourage you in soul-winning. I think we lack enough time, or I shouldn't say it that way, but we don't do as much soul winning as we should. But with all of that said, just stand back from that truth for just a moment and follow with me as I present to you the fact that a soul winning focus in the church can be an enemy of God's glory. What I mean by that is this. First of all, let me say God is interested in souls. You remember Luke chapter 15, verse number 10, Jesus said, likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. God is very excited when souls get saved. You remember, what is the reason that God gives why the Lord is tarrying his coming? It is his long suffering, right? Second Peter 3, he's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long suffering does word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He cares about souls. Yet God's glory is not limited to only when souls get saved. I want you to understand, as we at Madison Baptist Church weekly go downtown to the UW campus and we share the gospel and we give out tracts, one of the things I encourage our people with is this. Listen, we're always excited when somebody takes a tract, and that's a good thing. And by the way, one of the neat things that happened just a couple of weeks ago is uh, there was a very dark skinned black man that walked by one of our uh, people and they offered him a tract and he said, no, I'm Muslim and walked on down the line. And so they just kept handing out tracts to other people. That man is from, and I forget which country in Africa, but one of the African countries in North Africa. He came back about 20 minutes later, walked up to that uh, person from our church and said, let me ask you some questions. And he began to ask them questions about Christianity. And, and uh, you know, obviously he's Muslim, and so he had a lot of questions about what Christians really and truly believe. And they had about a 20-minute conversation about Christianity. That's an exciting thing. That's a wonderful thing. We're always glad when people are interested and want to know. But I try to encourage our people that, listen, God is not only glorified when somebody receives the gospel. God will get glory even when somebody rejects the gospel. That might sound counterproductive, but I want you to understand what the Bible teaches us in Philippians chapter 2. Turn there with me quickly, if you would, Philippians chapter number 2. And by the way, this truth, when you grab a hold of this, will encourage you wherever God sends you. 
One of the things that happened when I left Bible college is, and I went to a good Bible college and I appreciated what I learned there, but one of the things is I came out with this mentality a little bit of, man, God will will really be glorified if I can fill up my church. God will really be glorified if I can see many thousands of people saved. And it, it, it took me a while to see from Scripture that, listen, God is going to be glorified if I just do His work. If I obey Him and day by day, moment after moment, obey what He's called me to do, He's going to get glory either way. Philippians chapter 2, look with me if you would at verses 10 and 11. It says that at the name of Jesus, how many knees will bow? Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Now listen, every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. The the people who accept, obviously. The people who reject, obviously. Everyone will. Verse 11, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And notice the last phrase, to the glory of God the Father. You understand the day's coming. God has already laid it out for us that in the end He gets all the glory. No matter what happens, and, and there's a whole other message about the fact that, listen, even when a person rejects, did God know ahead of time that they would reject? Yes, the people who are in hell today, later on will be cast in the lake of fire. The people who are in hell today, did God already know before they were born and before they were created that they would be cast in hell? Yes. God knows all things. He knows the end from the beginning. But yet he gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And remember, that points to the long-suffering of God. Romans chapter 9 talks about that. That God, who is willing to show his wrath, but he restrains himself in mercy to those even who he knows will reject him. And it will all point back to God's glory. Friends, that will encourage you even when you're going door knocking and no one's getting saved. Even when you're going down to State Street and handing out tracts and many people are receiving, or many people are rejecting, I'm sorry. If you will have in your mind and in your heart the understanding that I'm here to glorify my Savior, no matter what happens, I'm going to make sure He gets glory, you'll stay encouraged when you have the right focus. But if your focus is always on whether or not somebody responds to God's work, Boy, you'll be up one day, down the next, up one day, down the next. And God doesn't want you to ride that roller coaster. God wants you to be always on top because, as Paul said, he always giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is interested in souls getting saved, yet God's glory is not limited to souls being saved. Lifting up Christ is what will save souls. Remember what Jesus said in John 12? He said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. You know what our job is? Again, whether we're out door knocking on State Street, handing out tracts, if we're preaching from a pulpit, whatever we're doing, here's our job to lift up Jesus Christ. Listen, just share with them who Christ is. Just lift him up. Live a Holy Spirit-filled life in front of them. And speak the words of God to them, lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ. And let God worry about whether or not they accept or reject. But your job is to lift up Christ. He will do the drawing if we will lift Him up. We ought to seek for souls to be saved. We ought to be soul winners. But let us always remember that we seek souls saved 
that God might be glorified. Now let me give you a third enemy of God getting glory in the local church, and that is, so we've seen, by the way, we've seen a numbers focus, we've seen a soul winning focus, and a third one is this, a pastor focus. Now again, we're talking within the the context of a local church, a pastor focus. Here's what I mean by that. An emphasis on the pastor is the one who gets the glory. Or the pastor is the one on whom, you know, the sun rises and sets. Rather than on Jesus Christ. I've had the privilege to grow up in a Christian home. As your uh, pastor mentioned, my dad was a pastor. One of the things that I've seen in, I'm not that old, but my short lifetime, all right? One of the things I've seen is our movement begin to wake up to the reality of the fact that we've had a wrong thinking, not everybody, but a lot of people have had a wrong thinking about the emphasis or the role of pastoral authority in the church. What I mean by this is that the pastor is not a replacement for God. Young men, if God has called you to be a pastor and you go to pastor a church somewhere, you need to understand your role as a pastor in God's church. It's important for you to remember it is God's church, not yours. And that, by the way, God does not need you in his church. He's placed you there. He has a call on your life. You have a very important purpose, and it is important what you do, and you can't slack off, and you'll answer to God someday for what you do, and When you say the wrong thing, you have the potential to lead a lot of people astray. And when you say the right thing, you have the potential to lead a lot of people to the right things. But it does not rise and fall on you. The statement has been said, and I remember this when I was in college, it being said all the time, a great man of God by the name of Lee Robertson had this statement that he said, everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, I appreciate the statement, makes good preaching. It ain't found in the Bible, however. What I mean by that is this. What kind of a leader was Moses? Much better leader than I'll ever be. So everything rises and falls on leadership, right? So the fact that the children of Israel didn't enter the promised land under his watch was his fault, right? No. He was a great leader. Yet God's people weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Therefore, they didn't enter the promised land under his watch. But was God upset with Moses over that? No. God had Moses do exactly what Moses was supposed to do. God later raised up Joshua to take them into the promised land. Listen, it's not all about you and what you do. So is God interested in pastoral authority? Oh, yes. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter, I'm sorry, not 1 Peter. Yeah, I'm sorry. 1 Timothy, that's what I'm trying to say. First Timothy chapter number four, verse 11. Now, if you know anything about Timothy, and I'm assuming everyone here does, this book of First Timothy, Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, and, and encouraging him what to do in Ephesus and, and what he's supposed to tell them to preach and to teach. And notice what he says to Timothy in verse 11. He says, these things... Command, 
and teach. By the way, guess what? Commanding insinuates authority, doesn't it? If I command you to do something, that would insinuate that I have somewhat of an authority to be able to command you to do something. Paul tells Timothy, you command them to do this. And then obviously teaching insinuates a place of authority as well. You teach them these things. In fact, in the next verse, he says, let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. The pastoral authority is real, and God wants you to, to understand the authority that you have if God calls you to be a pastor. But yet, can I tell you this? God does not need you to run the church. God can make sure that the church does what it is supposed to do with or without you. There's a balance in thinking here that you and I need to understand. God's placed me here for a, for a time, for a purpose, and I need to do my work, and I'm going to stand before him and give an account someday. But it's not all about me. The sun doesn't rise and set on me. It sets on God's word. It rises on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is about him. God does need you to do something, however. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 6. Look what Paul says to Timothy. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. You know, one of the things that encouraged me as I read 1st, 2nd Timothy, and then Titus as a pastor is God's emphasis in 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, which, by the way, as you know, were written to, you know, pastoral young men, is the emphasis on how to be a good minister is not on how many people you can bring in to fill the pews. It's not even on how many souls you can see saved. And was Paul concerned about those things? Absolutely. He wanted Timothy to be a soul winner. He told him, he told him do the work of an evangelist. He, he wanted him to be those things, but he emphasizes over and over and again to Timothy and to Titus that, listen, if you will just preach the simple truths of God's word, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say if you can administer the church better than anybody else and you can you know, do this thing or do that thing better than anybody else, then you'll be a good minister. He says basically, just preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. The work of the ministry is actually very simple, young men. As you get into the pastorate, is this, God just wants you to preach and teach the word. And yes, it needs to be with authority. But not authority because I'm the CEO of this corporation called the local church. No, not because I can be a bully and browbeat you into submission. No, because I'm going to stand upon the authority of God's word and say, Thus saith the Lord, this is what you need to do. And I can't make you do it. But I'm going to tell you with authority what God says you are to do. Again, Moses is a great example. Moses didn't have any teeth to make God's people do what they were supposed to do. You can see that throughout his tenure. But yet he commanded them with great authority to obey what God had told them to do. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Peter chapter number 5. This time we are going to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5.
1 Peter 5, verse number 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being ensamples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. You see again there in that scripture that was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Peter, the emphasis for a pastor is this, just feed God's flock. By the way, if anybody knew the importance of that, it was Peter, wasn't it? Jesus confronted him in, in the latter part of John that if you love me, feed my sheep, right? That, that's our job as God's ministers. And let's always remember that, listen, the emphasis is on God receiving glory in the church. That as we work in whatever ministry, it is about God and His glory. It's not about me performing my task and getting my agenda across. It is about God and His glory. And never let numbers become the focus. If God fills your pews, or if you only have a scattered few, glorify God in front of whoever God brings to you. Lift Him up and let Jesus Christ receive the glory. Never let soul winning be the end-all, be-all of your church. Be a soul winner and have a soul winning ministry and have, by the way, have set times to go out. That makes such a great difference. And, and, and have an emphasis on that, but let it all be that Christ might be glorified. And if the soul winning results in multitudes saved or just a scattered few here and there, may God be glorified through it all. And as you work in the ministry, never let you, the pastor, become the focus and the, the end all be all. Point people to Jesus Christ and pray regularly, Lord, hide me behind Christ and let Him receive the glory. Let these people look to you so that if the day comes that I'm dead and gone, they'll still be strong in their Christianity. Even if I fail, they'll do right because they love you and love your word. That's the goal of what we do. Never let these three enemies take over. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around here this morning.